0: Boys, binge Boys! 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 Hal Rudnick, Harris! Binge Boys! Binge Boys! Binge in the fuck out of shit! Welcome to Binge Boys, I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me is my pal, Lon Harris. Hey, oh, Hal. I said your name. Do you, yeah. do you mind me saying your
1: name? Please say my name, anytime you want.
0: Oh, okay, Destiny's Child.
1: <laughs> said, yeah, that's a, that's them.
0: Yeah. Uh, for a second, I was like, wait, is that Beyonce or Destiny's Child? No, no,
1: that's Destiny's Child.
0: Apologies to the Beehive for not knowing for sure. That's
1: why they're repeating it three times. Once, once for each member of Destiny's Child.
0: Man, that... Kelly Rowland, I, I feel like she's <laughs> she's fantastic as now well. Now name
1: the third member of Destiny's Child. Michelle, I think
0: it's Michelle.
1: I those are the two that I know. So I was challenging. It's like trying to name all three tenors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pavarotti. Uh, okay. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. You- so, Lon, what, what are you going to be for Halloween, my friend? We are. It is October. Oh, I canceled this year,
1: right? I thought no. Oh, no I mean, aren't no people going
0: to just do no. spooky zooms?
1: <laughs> Just like they're gonna hang out in their kitchen in a costume, or wow, nothing. We're six months into pandemic. I don't yeah. think any phrase more depressing than spooky zooms has yet been invented. <laughs> that that's how I define twenty twenty. It's the year of the spooky zoom.
0: There actually is a phrase more more frightening than spooky zoom. Or did you say more depressing or more frightening?
1: No, I did not say more Friday, but well, I'm depressing. I think more symbolic of the year twenty twenty. are you gonna go with a uh, Zoom dick? is that where this is yes headed? I was gonna say yeah. Jeffrey
0: Tubin Zoom Yes yeah,
1: Tubin and, Tubin and Zoom,
0: yeah <laughs> Tubin zooms oh man.
1: but That's it's like a, but the oh. tip of a Tubin zoom is just like, oh gross. come on, man. whereas the idea of people having spooky zooms is yes. just like, oh, just end it just why why are we even trying anymore i I mean. Yeah. Spooky Zooms. First dates over Zoom. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's getting grim now. I'm just, by the way,
0: if you don't know what Jeffrey Tubin Zooms are, Google it and I apologize.
1: Everyone Uh, knows what that is. (laughs) uh, (laughs) No one, no one is listening to this being like, what story are they referring to?
0: Well, I mean, there might be some people out there who are like not quite CNN hounds or anything.
1: I mean, yeah, that's page one, dude. The president broke like eight international treaties, page 22. Page one, some guy took out his hog on the Zoom.
0: Yep. (laughs) And now he's suspended from all
1: of his jobs. You know what's incredible?
0: What's that, Lon?
1: Teenage boys have now been attending classes via Zoom, en masse, millions of them, for months. Mm-hmm. And yet the very first time we hear about someone showing their hog on a Zoom, it's like a grown adult working for the New Yorker. That's unexpected.
0: Yeah, and then he said he thought the camera was
1: off. He didn't
0: know. I mean, do you think he
1: knew on? No, I don't. I, I believe he thought, I believe I believe him when he says he did not think he was broadcasting. That is not defending him. Like, I think it's really gross to do that on a Zoom with your coworkers, even if you do have your camera off, don't, what? No, stop. Why? God. Yeah. Like that's too work adjacent. That's like being in your cubicle. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't, I don't like anything about it or the ramifications of it, but I do take him at his word that he, it was not exhibitionism. Like he didn't want his coworkers to see him doing that. He thought he had turned the camera off and was doing something else. And it just was a, was a was a terrible, tragic mistake on his part.
0: Indeed,
1: you know that moment. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have done this, where you are text messaging something not super nice about someone, and instead of the person that you're intending to send it to, you send it to the person that you're talking about. Has this ever happened to you? This happened. To no, me
0: I've I've done that in real life, though. Wow. I, I did that IRL. I was at work one time, and there I was just joking because I'm a, I, you know I'm a real big doofus. And I like to right. say stupid shit just yes. to get reaction. In my
1: defense, yes. It's this, rather than and, me being like a horrible person who's just gossiping about people. But yes, continue.
0: I was talking to my buddy about this woman who like from a different office, this is back when I, I had a corporate job for a little while, this woman, Irene. I was just joking and saying, oh, me and Irene, ice cold. We do not get along. And I put my pulled my fingers like really far apart. Like, uh-huh. yeah, we do not uh-huh. see eye to eye. And then- I did not realize that she was on the other side of a wall and she stood up and said, it's not nice to talk about people when they're right in the same room. And I spent the rest of the week apologizing to this woman. And Irene, if, if you're listening, which I am certain you're not. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. I was just joking. You're 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 a fine
1: fine lady. Yeah. There's no coming back from it because it's like, well, that's what I really think. Like I, what what could I even say? Like now you know you've been granted access behind the curtain. Like I can't put this back in the box. Like that's what I really think.
0: About. No, I just had to fall on my sword. The sword of just I'm a dipshit. I'm just a dipshit.
1: But what I was gonna say is I. So that feeling, like your feeling when Irene first stood up. Yes. Oh. Or my feeling when I sent a not very nice Google message to who I thought was my brother, but was Brian Gilmore that was about Brian Gilmore. Hi, Brian. Still good friends. It did not impact our long-term friendship. But anyway, oh, that moment before Brian even responded, before he even saw it, but but I knew what I'd done, and you can't take a Google message back. That feeling, I, I'm trying to imagine how compounded Jeffrey Tubin's feeling was the moment that he realized what he had done. Like it must have been, was it, was it 50 times my feeling? Was it a thousand? Like how? Do, at what level does that become fatal? And it wasn't just that like, oh, he got out of the shower. No, no. He was pleasuring. He was self-pleasuring. The first time I heard the story described, that's what I assumed is like, oh, he changed his clothes and didn't realize he'd left the camera on. This could happen to anybody. <laughs> and then, yeah, like the, when Vice updated the article, I don't know if you saw... This is so juvenile that this is funny, but right. Vice updated the article and then they had, a, you know, the little journalistic like they have to say, here's what we updated. And they wrote like article updated to reflect the fact that Tubin was masturbating. And it's like, <laughs> great. Thank you. Very journalistic. Thank you.
0: I mean, you got to call it what it is.
1: I mean, that's it's a very it's a whole category different from just accidentally showing your junk. It's more journalistic
0: than said than saying
1: article updated to reflect that
0: Jeffrey Tubin was stroking it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I could talk about Jeffrey Tubin stroking it all day, but some news dropped today.
1: Oh right, some actual streaming news. Not that kind of different totally different more professional streaming.
0: Yeah, so Disney Plus is going to have a new show coming uh,
1: down the pike. Yeah, Willow. They're taking the 80s movie Willow and bringing it to Disney Plus. I, I feel like we've known this was in the ether for a while. Two years ago, I actually went and saw uh, Ron Howard and the screenwriter speak about Willow. They had a screening in Santa Monica, and then they, they did a Q&A afterwards. And even then, Ron Howard was like, We've got some ideas and there's stuff in the works and this is out there. So it's sort of been like in the works for a while. And
0: I would say this is a beloved IP that like people have been kind of clamoring for to see revisited for years and
1: years. Yeah, it is. It's it's interesting in that it was not a box office smash in its day. It was sort of mm-hmm. considered a disappointment at first, especially because of the involvement of George Lucas and Lucasfilm, which at that time was like the biggest studio in the world and Star Wars and Indy and, you know, Mm -hmm. you had a young, hot Val Kilmer. Yeah. So it was sort of initially lumped in with a lot of those other like misfired, disappointing eighties fantasy movies, many of which have now seen their reputations enhanced by the generation that were kids when those came out. So yeah, like Willow was not initially like one of those properties that was like, ha ha, hot property. But I think now, because, People who were young like me when they first saw it are adults and are going back and revisiting it and finding it quite charming. Yeah, now I think there's a lot of thirst for a new Willow project.
0: Yeah, and uh, Warwick Davis. I mean, the guy, his his IMDb is just like you know, it's it's a Hall of Fame. IMDb. yeah, le-
1: legendary status in in geek culture for sure, and
0: also just a super awesome dude parodying himself in, in the Ricky Gervais comedy. Yeah, li- life is short. Yeah, life is short, and I, I do my my you know I, I do shed a tear that we I, Val Kilmer is probably just too ill to be a part of it. That brings me down.
1: I think the, the thing to me that is most interesting, no no shade to Val Kemmer, who's brilliant in the original Willow and a great actor and somebody I, I appreciate very much. But what I think is most exciting about the prospect of doing, going back to Willow, is not to necessarily retread what we already saw. If you go back and watch the movie, as I did when I saw the screening, it's a really big world. Like, it's taking place on this in this large canvas and we only get to sort of deal with these immediate issues in this one story, there's a lot that I feel like you could do to really expand on the mythology and the, the world building of Willow in a TV show. And you don't necessarily need to keep bringing back all the old characters. Like Willow on a new adventure that introduces us to a new side of this reality, I think could be plenty plenty interesting on its own, even without the all the characters from the original being reunited. OK, I'm interested. I'm interested. And, you know, uh,
0: I, I feel like, uh, you know, if, if the Mandalorian is uh, any indication, Disney Plus is handling its IPs and doing a great job of expanding worlds.
1: And... Yeah, it's, it's, it's also cool to see them dip into something Lucasfilm that's not Star Wars. Like so far, they've been so maybe we'll finally get Radioland Murders too. is what I'm saying. <laughs> who knows what could happen?
0: I do a Warwick Davis Willow impression. Hit me with this it. is uh this happens in willow after after Val Kilmer displays a pretty impressive piece of sword play Warwick Davis's character exclaims, "You
1: are great <laughs> wow nailed it yeah, thank you. I like that you have only one line that you say as well it's not just a willow of good impression It's no. just just, just that say, one line. Are great. Yeah.
0: When I saw that movie as a child, I went around saying that. Like, that line stuck in my head, and I remember that to this day. Yeah, he's very impressed. You know, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And you know what? i um, just talking to you about it right now. It makes me want to revisit the damn thing. Is Willow available to watch? Can I watch it tonight on Disney Plus?
1: I don't know exactly where Willow is available, but I will say seeing it on a big screen, like, it's a very cool, interesting movie. It is, you are correct. It is on... Disney Plus. Oh hell yeah! I'm going to watch the shit out of that. Maybe tonight. I urge everybody to go watch Willow. I had a lot of fun two years ago revisiting it. Also, an early performance from Kevin Pollock, who pops up as one of the brownies, the little tiny oh, guys.
0: I, I enjoy some Kevin Pollock. It's nice to see a usual suspect, Kevin Pollock, pop up.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot. It's a lot of fun, and it was an early, early ILM Industrial Light and Magic showcase. So a lot of like early effects that they were trying out that would later come to fruition in the 90s like some of the morphing effects are some of the earliest computer animation that was like ever in a mainstream studio movie. Very cool. Now if they're bringing back the Willow series, are they ever going to do
0: a Lady Hawk 2? Wow. Wow. Digging deep. What's that? It's it's
1: Rucker Howard, right? Rucker Howard and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, the late Rucker Howard. I mean, at this point I feel like you would just have to reboot the yeah. Lady Hawk franchise. Yeah, you just have to reboot. Yeah, we just re, we're just
0: recasting those roles. G- good times talking about the upcoming Willow series produced by Ron Howard. It'll be at least some episodes directed by John Chu from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, very cool. So let's uh, talk about some stuff that we've been watching lately. Yes. Okay, so you... Okay, I got a little bit confused. You said, hey, let's watch this Oktoberfest Beer and Blood on Netflix. And, okay, here's what I... Here's what I initially thought. Oh, the movie's called Oktoberfest Beer and Blood, uh, or not the movie, the series. I thought it was going to be like the movie Beer Fest meets Friday the 13th. The be like the beer drinking comedy Beer Was I not?
1: I believe I gave you the log line as well. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think I had also said... It's like the, the origin of the Oktoberfest festival. That's the, the craziest thing about the show yeah. is that it's based on a true story. Like, I don't think it's loosely. Apparently, it is only loosely based on a true story. Yeah. All the names are changed. Uh, th- it was over a longer period of time. And, of course, it was like more complicated than they're making it. But it's not just made up. Yeah. Uh, unlike Fargo,
0: that says it's based yeah on
1: no history. Fargo is totally made up. But no, <laughs> so to to give people the sort of the log line, yeah, it's it's set at the turn of the 20th century in Munich, and it's basically about how Oktoberfest went from being a local beer festival that was popular in Munich. To a worldwide recognized the fucking event.
0: Lollapalooza of right. beer to so like party.
1: what it is today, where people from all over the world know Oktoberfest and want to go one day, and it's this huge thing. Uh, and of course, as with all human institutions, that story is like, well, a lot of people had to get murdered, and it was like criminals. And that's what massive corruption was required to bring this thing that we all know about about.
0: There's not a ton of blood, though. It's Oktoberfest beer and blood.
1: It's not Peaky Blinders. It's as much about the political maneuvering as it is about the murder. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I would describe the feel as kind of. uh, Yeah, there's a Peaky Blinders kind of feel. It's a little bit uh, like I'm getting like. Downton Abbey meets Gangs of New
1: York. Right. I mean, that's what I like about it is it it, at its best, I think it does have that kind of a almost like it's not as good as the Sopranos, but in the way that the Sopranos really not only was like a character study, but also really got into the politics of running a New Jersey mafia empire. Like, here's how you'd have to pay people off. And here's how you deal with your lieutenants. And here's how you'd stave off a war with New York and like, Those elements of Sopranos, it's kind of that, too. It's like, if you were navigating this world in 1900 in Munich, like, here's how the brewers would see it, and here's how the government would see it, and here's what you'd have, you know, like... And I I enjoy the process stuff about it a lot.
0: For half the first episode, I spent it, like, just kind of recalibrating my brain, asking if the main antagonist was Pedro Pascal. (laughs) No, this is a jerk. These are all Germans. It's almost a Javier Bardem, Jeffrey Dean Morgan situation between the main character. You got to admit, he looks a little bit like Pedro Pascal.
1: It's like Germany's answer to, yes, that kind of a, a guy where he's, he's like dapper. Like you could believe him maneuvering in these high society world, but he's also like, Capable of violence and brutality. Lon, could you
0: please just call him Germany's Pedro Pascal?
1: It's, yeah, I could see where you're going with this, Germany's Pedro Pascal. I felt like he almost had like a Hugh Jackman vibe at times as well, like a dark Hugh Jackman, like a greatest showman in the first half Hugh Jack, like a like an almost dastardly Hugh Jack. I could see that. I call him a little more like a Germany's Pedro Pascal.
0: So I would say this show—it's—I I wouldn't call it a must-watch. If
1: your queue is starting to run dry, it's worth it. There's so many foreign movies and shows that we would never have gotten access to before that now you can just watch with subtitles because they're on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix. Like all of these companies now are international and like they want to buy stuff for people in Germany to watch. But we reap the benefits because they put them up all over the world and do the subtitles anyway. So it's really fun. Like, I really enjoy seeing how other countries approach the same kind of genres and shows that we're making now. And to, like, spot the formulas, like, this show was obviously inspired by an American show, and an American show took inspiration from this Danish show. And, like, we're having this kind of conversation culturally that we've never really had before, at least that I could personally be part of
0: you know and you bring up the sopranos i feel like the sopranos has such like a fingerprint on so many shows just these deep dives into how organizations or how entities have become and grown so you have like the inner workings of the mafia. There probably wouldn't be a Mad Men without Sopranos. The imprint on Oktoberfest. Like, the, it, it is a kind of a Sopranos of
1: beer. I, you know? I mean, I I think there's a case to be. There's a few shows I think you could do this for, but, like, only a handful. Like, I think you could do this for Twin Peaks. I think you could do this for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. where you, I think you could sort of set that show as, like, this was the moment that peak TV started. And, like, this was the show that ended up inspiring like everything that came after. Oh yeah. Buffy is that it's that mix of episodic and season long arcs. And it's like supernatural, crazy B movie genre stuff, but also it's still like love stories and high school stories and relatable stories. And like, so it's got that. And then Sopranos has got this, like it's the, it's this like novelistic, like interior story about this very dark, anti-hero but who's like conflicted and it's like this deep dive into that guy and his psyche and like that's mad men that's breaking bad that's like all these other shows follow that so there's like only if you then twin peaks that like ongoing mystery and the crazy mythology and branching off into a hundred different directions and the huge ensemble and everything
0: yeah i'll I'll give you i'll give you one more the larry sanders show i think has yeah oh yeah you can find the influence of that show, just as far as being a single
1: cam uh, show. And- almost again, that that like early mockumentary feel. It's almost The Office years before there was a The Office or 30 Rock or like, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh, 30 Rock, the show within a show aspect, which they don't do as much on 30 Rock, but I yeah, think it's a but-
1: straight line from Larry Sanders to 30 Rock.
0: yeah Oh yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So yeah, again, this show, you know it'll keep you interested but i'm not i wouldn't say rush out and put it on your queue but it oh, it is kind of fun though because we don't have because we are missing like some like beer drinking holiday stuff with
1: all the pandemic and everything so it's kind of cool in that regard as well we're going to talk in just a few minutes about an american history show and we're so used to that like we've seen so many shows that are like let's take this interesting moment in american history and make a show like a Mrs America about you know the feminist movement and like there's so many examples and there a lot of them are great and it's just fun to see another country's take on their own history like here's this interesting moment in german history i knew nothing about like let's make a show about it Uh, just on that level i am i enjoyed it but yeah i agree it's not like the best show of the year it's just a fun sort of diversion. yeah it gets the
0: job done and you know what maybe have uh, a handful of maybe drink six heinekens uh, along the way
1: yeah fair that's dutch heinekens are dutch heinekens are dutch yeah, really? That's, Amsterdam. That's where Heineken is from, oh, I believe. gosh! Bex, have a Bex. Have a Bex. Bex. Perfect. There you go. Thanks. Or or sh- a Spaten. Have a Spaten. There Schboten. you go. That now we're talking like Oktoberfest type beers. Have a have a nice Marzen and settle in. There we go.
0: Lon, let's talk about. Oh, oh, and uh, again, that's on Netflix. Let's uh, move over to the Showtime Network, and they have a new prestige uh, limited series, Good
1: Lord Bird. It is very prestige. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's about John Brown, who's best known for the raid on Harper's Ferry pre-Civil War. Firebrand, sort of, according to this show, lunatic abolitionist who, you know, basically, like, led this sort of private army around... You know, slave states freeing slaves and generally causing trouble for yeah.
0: slavers. Largely based in Kansas, fighting these pro-slave
1: enforcers
0: that were represented by wearing, they wore red shirts, The fighting the red
1: shirts. The interesting thing about the show and what I think makes it work as well as it does is that Brown's not the main character. It's like, it's the first, it, for a long time... There have been these kinds of narratives. Glory, I think, is another great example. The sort of the the white savior idea where it's like, let's look at slavery through the lens of a white character who's on the right side of history and we'll get to see slavery that way through that lens. Uh, And Glory, I remember, is a movie a long time ago that was just starting to sort of be self-aware about that. Like, hey, let's take a break from Matthew Broderick and just hang out with Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington for a while, just to give you a taste for Andre Brower's perspective instead of just rooting it in the Colonel. The I think Good Lord Bird also makes the very wise choice of making Onion a, fr- a freed slayer, an escaped slave, the actual protagonist. Sort of a
0: teenage sidekick adopted by Ethan Hawke's character. Right.
1: Who is not historically a real character, by the
0: way. Gotcha. Yeah, but it is nice. I feel like it's very important. To go back in history and tell these stories through the lens of a person of color. Because we have so many tellings of these tales the North and the South, and Civil War stories, and Revolutionary War stories. But meanwhile, the people of color who are enslaved, who are getting the brunt of this horrific treatment, are for so long have been largely silent. So it's really refreshing to have the story uh, filtered through that lens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all true and, and, and one level of it. And the other level of it is, I think it's a more interesting story because John Brown is allowed to be this huge, larger than life, very enigmatic presence in the story. And it doesn't have to be our only way in. We get to follow it through this more relatable character who's witnessing all of these things happening. It works really well and it lets Ethan Hawke really go for it as John Brown. And he's phenomenal in
0: this. Like it's a speed from Ethan Hawke. And he's doing some late career stuff like first reformed this that are really showing off some acting chops.
1: Yeah. He's swinging for the fences now.
0: Yeah. And he's going for it. And I'm like, yeah, like he is chewing the scenery. There, There are a couple, it's probably better that there's a little less of Ethan Hawke throughout the entire series because the other characters like can't quite
1: live up to that level. That's what I mean. Like you, you get to just, he can pop in and reset everything and then leave and we've got this other world to follow. I think it would be not work as well at all if he was the one we were following all the time. I also feel like a lot of shows and movies try to do the same kind of idea as this, which is like, in a crazy world, the person who seems crazy is actually the same one. Like, there's a lot of fiction with that as your kind of way in. But they're always so tempted to make sure, like, we get it. To make the crazy person at the center of the story not not really that crazy. Like, they're, like, relatable, eccentric crazy. Like, like the Fisher King. I, I like the Fisher King, that Terry Gilliam movie. Oh, sure, Robin but, Williams. It, but Robin yeah. Williams is not really at a ten of crazy real insanity mental illness in real life is not eccentric and charming and you don't immediately go like well that guy's got it all figured out it's like scary and intense and you kind of don't know how to deal with it and like that's where ethan Hawke is at at all times in this he's not making you feel like well this guy's got it all figured out he's frightening and even to the other people in the scene with him to his own children he's frightening But it works, and it's kind of a message we need right
0: now. I am so here for Ethan Hawke telling these racist motherfuckers, like, if you don't fall on the right side of history, you will taste lead, you know? Yeah,
1: and I mean, it is. I think that's a lot of kind of what it's saying, too, and and, and not necessarily in a making an argument for one way or the other way, but just kind of pointing out, like, you know, real change may not be possible unless you just like are completely devoted to what you're doing and kind of don't care about anything else. Like that's kind of the relentless every time anybody else is like, well, I want to live or like, I want to go over here. Like I've got responsibilities. Like what about my family? He's like, this is the only thing that matters, you know? And it's like it, without that drive, is there a chance to overcome this, this massive brutal system? Like the the show is kind of asking those questions, which is a pretty brave thing to put out there. You know, like, I think we like to think of, you know, donate your money and go vote and you've done your part. And I think this is kind of saying like, this guy was like, I'm going to live this cause every day until I'm dead because that's, that's how much I want this thing to change.
0: Yeah. And we see it incrementally through life. Like just real change is not easy and it's not a comfortable thing. And, you know, people are going to get mad at it. You know, yeah, I mean, wants... do you
1: kind of need to be this sort
0: of lunatic to really succeed? That's what I am on social media every day long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are also some great cameos and different appearances. Steve Zahn has a yeah, fun it's, part. They have I, a uh,
1: lot of fun. I feel like, well, it, it's, it's fun that the main cast, except for Ethan Hawke, al- almost every other member of his inner circle are a relative unknowns. So you're getting to know these people originally through this story, but at the margins, they've sort of sprinkled in a lot of recognizable faces as you go through the first few episodes. And then Daveed Diggs shows up in episode three as Frederick Douglass. But I mean, Wyatt Russell, you saw as Jeb Stewart, Wyatt Russell pops up there. And yeah. Yeah. A good
0: supporting cast. But Ethan Hawke is just on another level. It's almost like he's Sometimes it feels like he's in a different show than everyone else because his acting is so huge. But that's just the legend of John Brown. And he really is it. like it's a command performance. Absolutely worth checking out simply to see Ethan Hawke and his just proselytizing and raining down hellfire on these uh slave traders and racists. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it's a very compelling, it's just, it's very entertaining for like a period historical drama series. It's funny and crazy and wild and over the top and like definitely worth checking out.
0: Absolutely, agree. Check out Good Lord Bird on Showtime. And Lon, you know, the boys, Amazon's the boys. It, uh, within the past uh, couple of weeks, it ended season two. And I loved the finale. I, I thought it really, I thought it paid a lot of dividends and tied up some loose ends and then created more loose ends. Like it did the the, the season finale of the boys. I, I thought was it, I, I mean, I hate to say almost perfect season finale, but like it put a button on a story we were following and then it opened up new threads and like veins of story that are, you're like, whoa, what's going to happen there for next season? I feel uh, satiated on this season. I'm excited for next season.
1: Yeah, no, I, I feel largely the same. I enjoyed this whole season. I think season two is a little better than season one. I feel like season one, we, we sort of talked a little bit about this. Season one to me felt a little too focused on the, the, the seven and the superheroes and that world and just exploring the celebrity culture and media culture that had grown up around superheroes. Yeah, it was a lot.
0: Of world building in
1: season one. And I think, yeah, we got to dig a little bit deeper into the characters and their differences and unique perspectives in season two, which I appreciated. I really loved Stormfront, Aya Stormfront, and I like the energy that she kind of brought. And like great, you know, great sort of comeuppance in the season two finale. You love that big Nazi energy. (laughs) Sure, that was a lot of fun. It reminded me a lot of Death Proof. I didn't see a lot of people comparing it to that. But, you know, the end of Death Proof where the the girls kill uh kurt russell's uh, stuntman mike
0: oh yeah 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 that's kind of oh, that what it was... reminded
1: me of that same satisfying exploitation b movie kind of send off. oh hell
0: yeah when mave showed up and
1: uh yeah although i don't know if you've seen eric kripke the showrunner says maybe not dead Stormfront could still be back oh interesting we don't actually see her ever buried in the ground. She's certainly in dire straits where we live, Oh, her. yeah.
0: She was in a world of hurt.
1: But it could but, be like uh, a Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, like, is there salvageable human there? Yeah. As long as we're going to spoil, which I guess I already did. Sure, yeah. We talked about Stormfront already, so I feel like that train has there. We could just put a warning on it.
0: Yeah, so I'll just say I got chills when Maeve showed up and and they were kicking the shit out of her to like the rock and roll soundtrack that was awesome like that's one of my favorite tv scenes in a long time
1: it was a lot of fun it was very satisfying because she's just been such a great nemesis for this whole season it is a great setup for season three but the congresswoman being the head exploding nemesis that we've been looking for I just I found that beat a little confusing for a few reasons. I'm sure we're going to unpack all of this next year. It's only going to bother me until The Boys Season 3. But two things. One, when she's blowing up people's heads in the actual meeting room, mm-hmm. her eyes don't change. But then later, when we see her and she's blown up Goran Viznik's head, the head of the Church of the Collective, her eyes are all cloudy. So I guess maybe there's an explanation like, she had contacts in, or she had. She doesn't have to cloud her eyes. Or did she close her eyes and do it? I guess, but it felt to me like a little bit of a, like, obviously we don't think that it's her just because she was right there and we would have seen if she was the one doing it. It feels right. like a little bit of a cheat to me to just not have her, like, sometimes her eyes cloud over and sometimes they don't. The other thing, and this is not a problem, this is just a question. okay. I don't at all understand her motivation for blowing up Jennifer Esposito's head at the start of the season. Ah,
0: interesting.
1: Like, if she was working to bring down Vaught, that would have brought down Vaught? Like, why she wanted to be the one to bring down Vaught instead of these other people? Like, again, I'm sure that's going to play into whatever her plan is.
0: She might have been trying to feather her own political career feather her own nest
1: i'm guessing they will find out like there will be a beat in season three that lets us know why she couldn't let that happen at that moment and needed to intervene i don't know it it just feels like something that's been left dangling at this point
0: lon you're a better man than i because it seemed like you just had at your fingertips the name of the head of the church of the collective
1: Oh, Goran Vizhnik,
0: yes. Goran Vizhnik. Bish- Is that the name of the
1: actor? Or That's the, the actor. I don't know the name of the character. He, he was in ER for many years. I also... I once saw him, I went to see a, you know, Jason Reitman used to do those LACMA.
0: Yeah, those readings of different, yeah, of different cool movies and stuff, yeah.
1: Right, so I saw them do Princess Bride, and Goran Vizhnik was Inigo Mantoya, the swordsman who's hunting for the, the, the six-figured man who killed his father.
0: You killed my father, I am here for
1: real. Prepared to right. die. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant turn. The highlight of that show was uh, Carrie Elwes was there, but played Humperdinck, not Wesley. Delicious, really fun. What a fun turn of events.
0: Good times. So, yeah, apologies if we spoiled The Boys for you. But, you know, if we're already talking, you know, if you haven't watched The Boys but, yeah, now. You're, you're behind. Come on. Yeah, come
1: on. Here's
0: another season finale. I didn't even realize there were going to be multiple seasons of this show, Long, No. Well, none of us <laughs> did. Until that was recently revealed. The Vow on HBO.
1: Right. So, So the trouble started a few days before the finale, when HBO announced out of nowhere, hey, we renewed The Vow for a second season. And that's like, hmm, that's odd because it's a docu-series and it seems like the story ends. Yeah, it, like, like Nexium
0: has been taken down by law enforcement. There are like... You
1: know... Well, it, 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 in another way, it's like, if you're not done, like if there's more episodes that you need to make that you haven't yet, Maybe just don't release it yet. Like, why are you releasing a half finished documentary? So already that was like a little weird, but I was like, OK, maybe they're just like there's going to be more survivors, more people to talk to. Whatever. I was like, OK.
0: Yeah. What's the big revelation? What? So yeah. then
1: I'm, I'm watching the finale. Yes. And there's a sequence. And again, spoilers for the finale of The Vow, which is not much of a finale in name only. Towards the end of the show, they all of a sudden shoot these sequences where one you see Nancy Saltzman, who was the like the second in command, like the president of Nexium the company. And you see they show her little ankle like monitoring bracelet, and it's clearly Nancy, and they're getting ready to interview her. And then they cut away to one of those Tiger King, like look-at-the-exterior shots of the prison, and you hear the like phone call from prison, blah, blah, on the narration. And it's Keith Raniere in jail. They have him on the phone and he's like, you want to get into it? Let's talk. And, and at that moment I was like, wait, there's not that much time left. And at that moment they cut to black and it's like credits. And it's like, so you had the two central figures in this entire thing, nine hours of episodes
0: mm-hmm.
1: leading up to finally look who we're going to talk to. The two people who actually did this, who were actually behind this scam but we're not going to show you anything having to do with them until season two. You've just wasted this entire first season of show. It's That's not even just a tease. A tease is like, okay, I've been teased. I'll watch next season. This is like... Fraudulent advertising, like like they, there's nine hours of the vow, and I've been defending the vow. I've been out there like, look, people are giving it a hard time. There's a lot. It's good that they built the story this way. They really let you get into the mindset of blah blah. Like I was the defender. I was the guy backing them up, and now they get to the end, and it's like we had episodes where Catherine Oxenberg is making out, is making people juice. Yeah, they were absolutely
0: slow playing Nippy and whoever else. There's, but, like, uh... whole,
1: there's like whole episodes that are just about, well, this was when we played volleyball with Keith and he explained the uh, cloning. And it's like, hey, you got him on the phone. Just I want to hear some of him on the phone. I mean, you can you can make an entire episode
0: with just people talking about the smell of the burning flesh. Like they made so much out of the branding. It's like, okay, ah. I, I get it.
1: Seeing that made me crazy.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a little bit like if Alex Gibney at the end of Going Clear was like, "Oh, and by the way, we have the secret L. Ron Hubbard tapes." Fade to black.
1: Watch the sequel. Yeah, it'd be like at the like Roger and Me ends with. Uh, Michael Moore being like, oh, actually, he, uh, Roger just agreed to an interview, but I'm not going to do it until the next movie. Like, no, <laughs>
0: well, you were trying to why get him. We were here.
1: That's it's Roger and you. That's why we showed up to the theater. It's like a 35 year old reference. Nobody's going to catch that. Yeah. Right. If you haven't seen
0: Michael Moore's Roger and me, it's that a was the first big
1: breakthrough Michael Moore movie. He was trying to uh, get a sit down with Roger Smith, the CEO of General Motors to yes. talk to him about why did you ruin Flint, Michigan forever. Yep. Um, it's a great movie. but
0: Yeah, fantastic movie. But Lon, I feel your pain on the vow.
1: But he actually closes it at the end. That's the point I'm making. He gets kicked out of Roger Smith's office. The end.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, I, I can't, man. What's a, a theatrical movie that,
1: like, ended with, Oh,
0: wait. Was that all just set up?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a great one. The, the name of the film is Alita Battle Angel.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I enjoyed Alita, but like... I
1: oh no, I rarely laughed as heartily as at the end of that movie when you go... Finally, you go up to like the real world, like the the ex- like Elysium, where they want to get, where they're talking about for the whole movie... And you see the big nemesis that we've been waiting for and talking about. And he's wearing these weird little futuristic glasses and he takes them off. And it's Ed Norton for like no reason. <laughs> like you're teasing us for movie two with no. like Ed Norton is the big bad guy. All right, all, right, all right, It doesn't seem like that much of a coup, but OK. Uh, I did like the effects in Alita. No, I listen. It's not a terrible movie. It's just it. when you get to the end, you realize that the whole movie is really just set up for the real movie, which is the next movie.
0: Do you remember when conservatives were pitting Alita versus Captain
1: Marvel? What do you say? You say we're like that is not still happening every day on the <laughs> internet. No, that never, that never oh ended. God. It was like this weird, it started you with, me with that bullshit. <laughs> it started with like, no, we're not misogynist just because we don't like Captain Marvel or any other women superheroes. See, we love this movie about like childlike badass robot girl who needs a man to like build her and give her a new brain. See, <laughs> we love women. Shout out to Rosa Salazar,
0: who's awesome in that movie, by the way. But yeah,
1: why can't you all be child robot brides who need an, a body upgrade?
0: You know what? I thought both Alita and Captain Marvel
1: were fine. They're both they're both fine and a perfectly entertaining action.
0: Lon, do you feel a little bit better that you got your feelings about the vow off your chest?
1: No. no, still <laughs> no. I need to process all of this fear and anger that I'm feeling. I'm concerned I'm going to become a suppressive person. Speaking of someone who's experiencing
0: a lot of anger about something, who wanted a forum to express that anger, we have a guest who wanted to talk about something that they feel is underrepresented and wants some time. So I'm going to step away from the microphone and let our guest step in. If that's well, fair enough. To do on. Yeah, please, by all means. I'd like to welcome Reginald Robidoux.
1: Reginald, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me. I'm I'm an an older fella, but I still watch a lot of, plenty of television. And I just want to say that I am furious with you, Lon Harris, and with you, Mr. Hal Rudnick, uh, for not talking about the greatest show on television, Gilligan's
1: Island. Where is... The Gilligan Talk. Well, I'm, I'm a little confused. Is there a new reboot of Gilligan's Island that we've missed? Did they bring it back? No, they're not doing. They're not doing the reboot or the redo or
0: the sequels or the prequels. They don't need it. It's the original, the genuine article, nineteen sixty four to nineteen sixty seven Gilligan's
1: Island, the three hour tour. Is that even available to stream anywhere at this point? I, I really feel like it's an older show, sir. I, mean, I don't know. I own
0: all of the VCR tape I taped of the program when it ran in syndication.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you for adding syndication. I was worried that you were going to make a horribly anachronistic mistake there, sir. I'm glad that you mentioned syndication. No, I
0: realized they didn't listen, I was alive. I saw it when it first ran. Sure. And then I watched it year after year. And then when VCRs came into play, oh, that was my time to shine. I popped a tape in there and I recorded every episode. You know
1: what? I, I think part of the problem too might be that there were only three seasons of Gilligan's Island. So it's really, it's 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 not a it's not maybe as long running a show as you would maybe think. There's under a hundred episodes.
0: There were was- there were 62 episodes, and I'll tell you what, there were three sequel movies. It was so, such a powerful moment. Between 1978 and 1982, there were three sequels. That's true. That's true. But mean
1: what 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 series spawned three feature length sequel movies? Uh, the Mission Impossible. Ah! All
0: right, you smarty pants. All right, you... I ought to whack you in the head with a coconut. I would like to... I
1: believe we've also had three Charlie's Angels. Stories. Oh, how dare you?
0: How dare you prove me wrong, you son of a bitch? Listen, I'm just, putting, I'm just putting ideas out there. I will come to your house and whack you on the noggin with a oh. coconut.
1: Well, just... Nobody wants that. No, they don't. Well, I... Oh. You you could also turn that into a phone. I mean, you're a valuable piece of technology, the coconut.
0: I will tell you what, Lon Harris. <laughs> Ginger and Marianne ushered me into pubescence. Both. That beautiful farm girl and that luxurious movie star...
1: Because usually that would be the conversation is, are you more into Ginger or Marianne? You, you're equal opportunity. What about Mrs. Howell? Ooh, Lovey. Well, she was spoken for. She was married, Lon Harris, and I'm an honorable man. I'm not... But I'm pretty sure Jim Bacchus long dead, so you might have your opportunity now.
0: Well, Lovey was a very classy woman. She knew how to dress, and if she... If, if, I would let her be my sugar mommy. I would absolutely let her be my sugar mommy. You know, here's a couple of Gilligan's Island's fun facts for you. We're just going right into fun facts. Okay. Oh, yes. You know, the ship, the minnow, the SS minnow, you're familiar? That was on the three-hour tour. It was named after Federal Communications Commission President... Minnow, whom creator, show creator Sherwood Schwartz loathed. The Minnow is most famous for, Minnow, the, 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 the head of the Federal Communications Commission, he was famous for giving a speech in which he called television
1: programming a vast wasteland. I think this is wrong. I don't, it's the Minnow, it's named after like a baby frog. That would make more sense. How dare you contradict me, Lon Harris? I feel like it's named after uh the Minnow, the tiny uh freshwater fish or what have you.
0: Alright, let me ask you okay, you're so smart, let me ask you a trivia question. The skipper from Gilligan's Island. What was the character's full name? No, no one knows this. I
1: know it. It was Skipper Jonas Grumby. That's not that's not a real It's fact. true! I think we're learning in real time why we've never had more Gilligan's Island talk on this show, uh, because it's a nightmare. All right, you damn fool. Go ahead and name your top 10 episodes of Gilligan's Island. And go. There's the one where they almost get off the island, but then at the last second, Gilligan messes something up and they don't get off.
0: Now you're just pulling my leg, you son of a bitch. I want to come down there and take out your knees. I want to take out your knees with my cane and make you bow before me and praise Gilligan's Island.
1: See, because, folks, that's the structure of every episode of Gilligan's Island. Like the professor invents this ham radio with coconuts and they manage to get like a, a ship that's coming nearby and contact them. But then, like, the ship comes and Gilligan sends them away because he's
0: stupid. Listen to me, you bearded son of a bitch. You think you are smart, but I'll tell you what, you are no professor. Oh,
1: well, Even true. though they call you the professor in the schmodown I'm not as good as the TV professor, who was also in This Island Earth, a, a, a terrific 50s sci-fi film. Trivia question. Give us the professor's character's name. Oh, you mean aside from the professor? Yes.
0: No, I don't know. Professor Roy
1: Hinckley. Is he the father of the guy who shot Rankin? No, he's not the father of John Hinckley. That's John. Hinckley. All right. Also loved Jody Foster. Though. And that was John Hinckley Jr. He was a junior. Well, that's so, so the father of the guy who shot Rankin. It would be John Hinckley Sr.
0: Yes, exactly. Oh, Lon, you are not as bright as they make you out to be. I'm going to come down there one day and crack you on the head with a coconut. But I appreciate you giving me time Everyone, look for Gilligan's Island. Where is it streaming, Lon? Tell me that, you binge boy. Uh,
1: Let's, yeah, let's look up where, if if and where Gilligan's Island is streaming. Yes,
0: where can you drink in the beautiful
1: Ginger and Marianne? A lot of our listeners may be too young to realize that when I was a young man, you could just turn on the TV at any random time of the day, and there was a pretty good chance Gilligan's Island would be on. Even in the 80s, it was a 60s show. I guess it was like like how Friends has remained so stuck in the zeitgeist. It was still regularly just on all the time. You can purchase Gilligan's Island episodes. Uh, you must purchase it. And, and r- write a letter to Netflix.
0: Please
1: write a letter
0: to Hulu.
1: Tell them to pick up Gilligan's Island. Definitely don't must feel like you have to but if you would like to episodes are as as little as one to two dollars on prime video itunes voodoo youtube it's it is watchable at fur price now you're doing a public service telling
0: people where they can find it and i'll leave you on one thing if i was as rich i'm honestly hoping we can get a sponsorship if i was as rich as mr Thurston howell the third i would start my own streaming network called the Gilligan Network, where it would be all Gilligan all the time. And then I would also make a spin off,
1: the, the
0: Baby Gilligans,
1: like the Muppet Babies. I feel like it should be Gilligan Babies, not Baby Gilligans.
0: How dare you contradict me? Oh, my heart! My heart! I am getting too worked up. I'm going to have to step away. Al, come back in. I need to take my leave. Lon, I appreciate you talking to me, but you're still a no... All right, Lon, I apologize for Mr. Reginald Robidoux.
1: I think the other problem with Gilligan babies is that it's not canonical. Because the Muppets may have grown up together, we don't really know... There's no way the Gilligan's Island gang grew up together. They just met on the three-hour tour. Right. Oh, but you know what?
0: Maybe in subsequent seasons, they could have had some children.
1: Yeah, but then those would be original babies. That's not interesting. Then it wouldn't be baby versions of the characters. It would but you got to connect
0: characters. the IP, so you call it Gilligan's Babies
1: or Baby Gilligan's. Uh, that I don't like at all. I think you got to have a Baby Gilligan, a Baby Skipper, a Baby Ginger. Like, that's what people want to see when you're promising Gilligan babies. I just don't know how you explain Baby Gilligan hanging out with Baby Marianne. They would not have met until that fateful day. Damn it. When the tiny ship was lost. Yeah. <laughs> The
0: the seas were getting rough.
1: Real head scratcher to bring you and Mr. Robidoux could maybe work that out behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, he's downstairs drinking coffee now.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. This has
0: been a very enjoyable walk through certain streaming shows.
1: Tell us where we can find you. Definitely look for me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the best spot. That's where I share all of the good stuff that I'm doing. And if you want to read my thoughts about streaming TV every single day, where we cover all this news, nothing to do with Gilligan's Island, uh, you can go to inside.com slash streaming and sign up for the Inside Streaming newsletter.
0: Lon, you're the smartest man in streaming. You know it backwards and forwards. You can find me if you just follow the sound of the barking dog. (laughs) or you can go to at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K on Twitter or Instagram, where I'm doing lots of stupid stuff and talking, streaming movies and, you know, whatever crosses my mind. I want to thank Starburns. I want to thank, uh, Owl Nation. Hoot, hoot, Juan. Hoot, hoot. And, uh, thanks everybody for watching. Thanks watching, listening. (laughs) Oh man. I really I fumbled the ball on the goal line right now. Completely the
1: wrong sense. You had five (laughs) choices and you you went wrong. Thank you for smelling. Yeah.
0: See you next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye everybody. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.
1: Bitch boys, bitch boys. How about they got it? Bitch boys,
0: bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit!